Well, we are in the middle of chapter 4, and we we'll, might be done with chapter 4 next week. I mean, we are cooking this year. It's, it's amazing. Uh, for those of you that are, are newer, uh, we are in the series in Romans. It, it, you know, it's felt less like a series and more like a missional journey uh, with Jesus. I mean, it's really felt that way. Uh, when people go say to me, Brennan, what series are you doing? It's hard to answer that question. So I say, well, I can tell you what we're doing and what we're engaging, but it may not fit the category of a series. But, but here it is. For the sake of argument, we've been in this uh, series in Romans that has been about living in the tension. Now, remember, Rome back then, the uh, Rome that Paul is addressing is not too different than the America we live in now where everything kind of goes. Anything goes. How many of you feel the distress of that? Not without hope. But you feel it, you see it, it grieves you. Anyone get grieved? Okay. And uh, Paul's addressing this kind of climate. And when we look at the climate around us, it is easy as Christians to react one way or another. And we have justifications for each one of those. And it's hard to know what side to stand on sometimes because we're trying to do our best listening as Christians, our best interpreting of the scripture. But how about we let Jesus do it for us? Because he does. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to navigate these tensions. Jesus sat in the tension of certain situations perfectly that were never on the radar. He did it with the political climate and he did it with the church climate. And both, he blew up both of them. I mean, they're like, Pharisees didn't even know, they didn't want to do with this guy, so they just want to get rid of him. And he didn't, he didn't, he didn't buy it on the bait to get into a political conversation either. He knew he, what, who he is and what he's about. And he's about God's business, which is the kingdom. And he sits so beautifully in, uh, in that tension. And, and just to revert back, remember the woman caught in adultery who was being held to Jewish punishment. They were going to stone her, and they were using this to trap Jesus. This is just one of many examples of how he sits in this tension. Now, According to Jewish law, someone caught in adultery is to be stoned. So, according to the law, they're doing the right thing, but this woman is humiliated, brought before all these Pharisees and all these teachers of the law, and brought, more importantly, to Jesus. The Pharisees explained to Jesus what had happened, and they said, what do you say about this? Because the law tells us to condemn. And then this is where he says his famous saying, if you've not sinned, cast the first stone, and everyone left one by one, oldest to the youngest. And the woman is standing there, and what does he say to her? Who's here to condemn you? She says, no one. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Now, if we stop there, we can go, wow, that is a really kind of cheap grace. He's just letting her off the hook. Yeah? Wait a minute. Committing adultery is pretty bad. Wait, what? What? But he doesn't. He says, well, neither I condemn you. Now go and sin, what? No more. So he has this way of sitting in attention and doing it in a way that's not on our radar. And that's why we're in Romans, because we need the Lord to guide us in a way, and he does and he is, that we can sit in the tension of the climate around us, and Jesus can have the first, middle, and last word. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And last week, we were in chapter 4, Sharon came out, guns a-blazing, poked the bear, 
and read this passage that is hard to say out loud, easy to agree with in my mind, and even I was squirming as such when she said, the one that, and this is what Paul is saying, the one that doesn't work but has faith in Christ Jesus is one that is righteous. And the one that works and doesn't is going to miss them. Now, that's not fun to say out loud, is it? No work? Wait, wait, no work? Well, let's revisit this and put this in context here. We're talking about the motivation of working to earn. Hard work's important. God made us to work, but not to earn his love and not to earn his salvation. If we are to earn and work to earn, there is no point for Jesus. There's not, because scripture is clear. If we're all born into sin and we all sin, who's sinned in the last 24 hours? We all have, probably. If you haven't, I'm hanging out with you. Okay? And so, Scripture is clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you cannot behave your way out of it. You can't behave your way out of it. You have to do the hardest thing that takes the most work. Receive a gift you're not worthy of according to your deeds. That stinks, because that's hard work. You want hard work? You're all about work? Try to receive a gift you'll never be able to repay, no matter how hard you work. If that's your motivation, you're going to miss Jesus, and you're going to miss freedom. Jesus didn't die and raise again so that we would try to earn his love. Then why did he die? If we get caught into those habits, we're going to miss the blessing of grace. We're going to miss it. And I don't want to miss it. Do you want to miss it? I don't want to miss it. But we are really bad at receiving good things. How many of you go out to lunch with someone, and they pay for it, and that whole time you can't even enjoy your meal because you're like, I've got to receive this. And then at the end, because I just did this recently, so I'm guilty, and then you say, I'll get it next time. Who's done that? Right? It makes you feel better now about getting the gift. Because now you've earned it. You've put in your money and your time. Do you know that sometimes it insults the one that is giving you the gift? And that's not to shame. That's just how it is sometimes. It is, Right? It's like, no, I'm not giving this to you. Don't cheapen this. I want to give it to you. You know, you're a terrible person, but I'm going to give it to you anyways because I want to. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm giving this to you. The Lord has given us the most precious gift. And we have to get over ourselves and receive it because if we do not, we are stuck on milk. Hebrews 5 says, Four and five tell us we are to leave the elementary teachings, meaning they're foundational. But we get stuck in this roller coaster ride that's going round and round and round, up and down, round and round and round, that we just cannot seem to receive on a full time, consistent basis the grace of God and that we are loved beyond what we can measure. You're worthy of it because He says you are. And we have to receive that so we can experience the life of it. 
because we're not experiencing the fullness yet because we won't allow ourselves to receive the gift. So we get in this pattern of earning it. And then we say as Christians, and I do this too, we know. No, of course you don't have to earn it. Everyone can tell me that theologically. Of course you don't. I know that. I spent a lot of money to learn that in seminary. I know that. But I still try to earn my way to the table. I do. What do I need to do to prove to show that I'm a good dad? What do I need to earn or prove or show that I'm a good husband? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do to illustrate something, to validate myself? If I'm in that, I'm missing grace. The space to receive is faithfulness and to exercise it. This is not an easy thing. Paul the passage we read this morning that we're going to get back into in just a second spends several chapters on this issue of faith and works as far as earning. We don't work to earn, we work to honor. It's different. I work hard because I love the Lord. It doesn't change my position with Him, but I want to give myself to Him. I want to honor Him. I want to lift Him up, so I work hard because that's what I have to give Him. Now, that doesn't mean I have a busy schedule and I create no time for rest because rest is hard work too, isn't it? How many, of you are, how many of you are super busy? How many of you raising your hands have been told you need to slow down? And how many have done that? There we go. Okay, rest. You want hard work? Try resting. And remember, resting is not doing nothing. It may seem that way. It's extremely productive if you need to have that word involved. It is, because it makes you the better version of yourself. But we work hard in all areas. It's silence, solitude, which is terrible. I, I shut my ears off when I hear about a silent retreat. I had to do that. I had to do that for seminary. You know what? I cheated. I left, and I went to a diner just so I could hear noise. Then I went back. I'm like, okay, we can do this. But that's hard work. All these things are how we honor the Lord, not earn anything from him. And Paul, he's trying to, to, to nail this point home. He's trying to get it into the minds of the recipients of this letter that you can't earn it no matter what you do or how you justify it. And one of the big ways to justify those things is circumcision. Mark didn't know he's going to be saying that word like 15 times this morning. But he's not even here. Great. But they use, he uses Abraham as the example because we, he's the father of faith in many ways. We, in the, for, for Jews, he's the pinnacle of faith. Why is that? Well, he trusted God. He trusted him. It wasn't about what he did for him. It wasn't about earning a place with him. It was trusting him. It's different. Though we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised? Or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. See, it's easy and even the, 
the Hebrews got into this is that circumcision became the law. It became an outward thing almost to, to figure out the inward thing. And the problem that we can have is we think the outward will fix the inward. It will not happen. Abraham trusting Jesus brought transformation into his life, which affected everything else. It was an inward thing. And we hear in verse 11 that it was a seal of righteousness that came by faith. And the seal in Scripture, you see it in Revelation, see it all through Scripture, is that seal that you put on an envelope that says it's from this certain person. When that seal's broken, you know when someone's read the letter, right? But that seal says, when God puts his seal on you, that says you're his. And he didn't come from Abraham doing it. He did a lot of things wrong. But he trusted God even in the midst of his mistakes. And because of that, he received the seal of righteousness that came by faith. By faith. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham had already had faith. And that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous, that seal of righteousness, even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but not have been circumcised, and they are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. One of the things we don't like is when people get good things that don't do good things. We can't stand that. When you work hard and you're getting passed over a promotion and some hotshot comes in and they haven't done anything and they get promoted because they're charming or something, how do you feel? Ugh. And you don't care about knowing that person, right? They're blacklisted to you. You're like, nope. I don't care about their character. I don't care about their heart. I earn this. Well, that's probably how Jews felt to Gentiles who have followed the law. This is not simple stuff as far as easy to receive for, for Jews. It wasn't because some of them were very committed. They've tried very, very hard. They worked very, very hard. Now you're telling me this person named Paul who was crucifying people now, well, he wasn't a Gentile, but you see what I'm saying. And now he's preaching to Gentiles and these people who have no idea about God, who, who have not been given the authority or been given the responsibility to look over the oracles of God. Hey, we're the people of God. And these people are getting in just by believing in you and trusting in you. Short answer, yes. Yes. And that makes us, those of us that feel that way, re-examine our hearts. Many of us have done a lot of the right things. But for what? Rightness or righteousness? Because all the right choices doesn't guarantee you righteousness. Faith gives you righteousness. Faith in Jesus Christ is your seal of righteousness. We like to control our environment. I, I like to make up for the stuff I do. It makes me feel better about me. If I do something bad then I got to do 40 things that are good. And I start, to, I start to trick my mind that I've distanced myself from what I did that was wrong and I can feel a little better about it and ah, breathe. Anyone else in that category? But that's not about honoring the Lord in that moment, is it? No, 
It's about giving my spirit some relief because I feel ashamed. Well, Je Jesus came to give you not just relief, but peace and freedom so you don't ever have to walk in shame, ever. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to. You just receive it. One of the things I learned, I'm learning from my dad. He's got the spiritual gift of receiving. If you give him something free, you go, thank you. <laughs> if you give him, it's, I love it about him. I remember he taught me a lesson. I, I, he said, I didn't ask your permission, so I'm sorry. <laughs> True. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, can I take you to lunch? I, I, my treat. And I said, no, Dad, I'll pay for it. He goes, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boom. I was doing the polite thing. I was earning the invitation by declining it. <laughs> so you would offer again. And then I'd feel better about it. You see how this craziness works? <laughs> yes, you can. I'll receive it. Thank you very much. <laughs> but you see how we can spin it? Because we have to feel, according to how we see the world, that everything God does makes sense to us. And if we do that, nothing will make sense. And we'll miss the greatest gift. Paul doesn't want these people to miss the gift. And the tension is to go to our default button when things get hard. But our default button has to be our everyday button and trust in Jesus, trust in Jesus, trust in Jesus, trust in Jesus, trust in Jesus. Until you're sick of hearing it from me and from one another. Because if you don't have that, I'm sorry, you don't have anything. Because he is life. And if you're not connected with his heart, you don't have anything life-giving. I've tried walking my life without Jesus, and guess what? It stunk. It was full of counterfeit comforts and full of misleading direction that led me into more stupid stuff. It did not lead me to life. And the minute I finally said, I don't want my life, I found it. <laughs> Jesus was telling me my whole life, get out of your own way kid. <laughs> That's why he says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's not just so that we become robot Christians as, all right, we're going to do whatever he says. Da, 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 da. We're going to do this. He doesn't, he doesn't need you to do anything for him. He says that because if you don't deny yourself, you can't receive the gift. <laughs> because it's what he wants for you. And if I want what I want without his leading, it's a bad day. It's a really bad day. And when I deny myself and pick up what he wants with all its challenges, I begin to get out of my own way and I can receive who he is in my life. I wanted to live in San Diego all my life. Who wouldn't? <laughs> I mean, now, it was rhetorical. The one rhetorical question I give, right? People raise their hand. That was my plan. That's what I wanted. If you had told me back in high school that I would be living in Minnesota, first I would ask you where it is on the map. <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> and you told me I would enjoy sub-zero temperatures. Now that's not true, actually. Yeah. Cold temperature, I'm, I'm good with the teens. I don't mind it. 
I'd say you're out of your brain. You're out of your brain. If you told me I'd serve in a Lutheran church growing up in an American Baptist, I'd say you're out of your brain. No way. Because what I wanted for me was less than the blessing that God had for me. And I've learned I'm just going to get out of his way because if I don't, oh, when I think about where I could have been if I stuck to my own plans, ugh, anyone else feel that way? Oh, would be terrible. Oh, look, Mark, he's covering his face because he knows. But when we trust him, when we trust him, when we finally get to the point where we trust him, it says we've gotten in our, out of our own way. God's not the one that causes church splits. God's not the one that causes these hard things in churches and in culture. We do. We go after what we want or what we think we want. And doesn't, it doesn't matter. I understand that there's circumstances and this and that. But as a whole, when we stay with him, when we trust him, when we pour our faith onto him, put our faith into him, things happen and results happen that we couldn't predict, that we couldn't even think of or imagine for ourselves. If you put all the imaginations in this room, we could think of some stuff, right? Could we think of some weird stuff? I mean, we... And it doesn't compare to what he has and who he is. It doesn't compare. I can think of a lot of stuff. But it doesn't compare. And it doesn't compare for his desire for us and the desires he has for us to step into. It doesn't even compare. So this is our tension. How do we let go of the earning stuff? Because it happens in ways that we don't always expect. One of the things we're really good at as human beings is, is presuming and taking things for granted. Are we good at that? Yeah, well, I'm in a church. Of course they ask Jesus what, they want to, what he wants to say. It's not always true. I'm with a Christian. Of course, of course they've surrendered and want what he wants. Not always true. We presume that because of words and how we define them and what they should be and all of this stuff, but it's not always the reality. That's why we try to keep it simple. Lord, what do you want to say? Because anything else is above my pay grade. And we mess it up. We do, we mess it up. And that's not guilt and shame. It's just, it is what it is. But his grace gives us the, the space to receive his faithfulness in the midst of that that's not determined on our faithfulness. That's hard to receive. Now, I am going to ask you a show of hands. How many of you are with me, and it is hard to receive relationally and spiritually God's grace in your life? You can receive it mentally. Okay. Do you see that you're in good company? Well, raise those hands again. Okay? We're in good company. This is a hard thing. This is work. But it's not work of earning, it's work of receiving. And when we leave this place, what are the areas in your life that God wants you to receive his grace that you haven't? And I can think of a lot in my life. But can you imagine what the landscape of God's body, his church, would look like if we were able to trust him, deny ourselves and trust him, and allow him to lead us through the tensions of this world? 
Yikes. I want that. All in favor? Yeah, not as enthusiastic as I had hoped in my mind. <laughs> All in favor? Yeah. All right, let's do that. Thank you for the three people that shouted for everyone else. We're under grace, so it doesn't matter. That's right. It'd be great to see. Well, let's pray, and as we pray, continue to ask, Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to say to me this morning? As we prepare for our offering and our communion, Lord, what do you want to say? Lord, we thank you for the space that your grace invites us into to receive from you. And even as I'm preaching, it's hard for me to do that. But we really want to receive and continue to grow in your grace so that we can experience more of your fullness. To move from milk to meat to maturity. So I pray that we would not take today's challenges as to do more stuff, to earn more stuff, but we would look at them and go, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? And how do I step into it in a way that honors you? Because we love you and we glorify you. We pray a blessing over our tithes and our offerings that we would give out of a place of faith, of trusting you with our money, trusting you with our time, trusting you with our relationships. All our resources are yours. I want to deny myself the claim I have and think all that stuff is mine. It's yours, Lord. And however you want to move. I ask that we would engage you this morning in worship and it would be sweet um, sounds to your ears and to your heart. We would honor you and glorify you in spirit and truth this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Fresh on us, we need.
The spirit of 